Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the first episode of the Win.gg Metagame Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Rondina, and we're going to be taking a little bit of a different approach to things than what you're used to in esports podcasts. Instead of talking about the games themselves and the esports competitions, we're going to be looking outside of the games. We're going to be talking about the business end of things. We're going to be talking about the world politics ends of things. We're going to be talking about the more serious subjects you don't usually see discussed in esports podcasts. And the first subject we're tackling today is the current state of the Dota 2 Pro scene. Now, things have been in a bit of a dire strait over the, the entirety of 2020, honestly. And we're going to be talking with two interesting guests who had an early read on the struggle that the game is facing now. So the first guest is going to be Will Parton, a journalist who has previously written for both Kotaku and Rolling Stone about Dota 2. He had a very early look at how things were going on the business end of Dota 2, and we're going to be talking about the response to his work and how it's kind of held up pretty well over time. Our second guest is going to be Garter, a former Dota 2 pro who ended up transitioning over to League of Legends back in January. We're going to be talking about how that's been going for him, what made him take that plunge, and where he sees the Dota 2 pro scene going from here. So let's get right into it. So I'm here with Will Parton, our first ever guest. How's that feel? It feels great. I'm, I'm, it's a real honor to be here. Awesome. Um, so back in 2017, you wrote an article for the Rolling Stone entitled, As Esports Explodes, Will Valve's Dota 2 Be Left for Dead? What actually led you to that idea? Because ultimately it was a very uh, novel idea at the time. Yeah, so I was, you know, a lot of times when I when I write something, it's because, um, I mean, it's I'm driven often by I don't I'm not sure what's going on here, and I want to understand it better. Um, and also, a lot of times that also comes from when there's something going on here, and I think other people don't understand it as well as it could, or there there's a layer here that's not being talked about. And I think you know what really motivated me there was you know 2017 was this moment when there was a big rush of interesting interest in franchising in the esports industry. Um, the announcement about uh, Overwatch League was fairly fresh, uh, and sort of people were uh, Blizzard was beginning to solicit um, you know franchisees for that. Same with uh, the LCS, as well as some more minor leagues. Um, you know, the I think that was about when Rainbow Six Siege, their league started going in earnest, uh, as well as the ill-fated um, H1Z1 league uh, back out in Las Vegas. Uh, and so there was a lot of money coming into esports, but I, but I noticed that a, a lot of it was not going towards Dota 2. And so I really sort of wanted to explain, you know, there is a logical explanation for this. Um, you know, what is it about Dota that makes this challenging? And so, you know, I set out to, to interview a number of sort of the, the team owners and the investors who were kind of, you know, at the forefront of this industry-wide shift towards franchising and understanding, you know, what is it about Dota that doesn't make it an attractive point of entry for them? So that's kind of the background for that article. So what was the actual response like at the time? Because if I remember correctly, it was not especially positive. Yeah, people people didn't like it. <laughs> I think um, you know there's there's two explanations for that. One one is you know something that I maybe could have done better, which is you know I used the story of Cloud Nine, this sort of major North American 
uh, esports organization as kind of the you know the narrative arc for it. And Cloud9 had kind of hopped in and out of, of Dota 2 a couple of times. Um, and Cloud9 also happened to be one of the most sort of uh, loudest proponents of the franchising systems uh, as sort of the right way to do esports. Uh, and so people, I think, read that as um, I am saying that franchising is the right way to do esports, which is not what I thought then, and it's not necessarily what I think what now. Um, I think it's always it's always contextual. Um, but another thing is like, I think um, you know, a real no one likes to read <laughs> something that's like this is going to be a big disaster, or like you know your your fave is problematic. Those are those are really challenging things to read. Uh, in some ways. And so, you know, I see why people might have kind of bounced off it initially, but I think on, on the whole, uh, especially because of sort of inter esport competition, if, if you're reading the article and you're assuming, you know, that I think Blizzard is doing things the right way and Valve is not, then somehow I'm like an anti, I'm anti Dota 2, which is certainly not the case. Um, but so I, I think that was sort of, uh, was sort of explains the lukewarm reaction it received, but on the whole, I think the article has aged pretty well. Oh yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be talking with you if it hadn't. I mean, it is ultimately at this point looking pretty prescient. Um, did, okay. At the time, did anybody of note, be it, um, from valve or from any of the other organizations reach out to you about that? Because, you know, you, obviously you talked, like you mentioned, you talked to Jack Etienne. Um, mm-hmm. but did anybody from valve or any other organizations or anything else? Like did, what, what was the response like within the industry to that article? So, um, a number of people in, in Dota two, especially sort of, I think people who have been on the back end, they've seen sort of the difficulties around financing teams and tournaments, uh, and sort of the, the challenges of aligning the interests of players, teams, tournaments, the publisher in Dota 2, they all said, hey, this is actually, a, this is a pretty fair read on things and we, we should, you know, take it seriously. Um, as far as Valve themselves, they are notoriously difficult uh, to get into contact with. Um, and so, you know, I, I had reached out for comment for them uh, for the story just as a matter of due diligence, but wasn't expecting um, them to say anything. And indeed, they did not say anything. <laughs> Um, so, you know, so I never heard from anybody at Valve about this specifically. My only, uh, sort of interaction with Valve as a result of one of my articles was, uh, the, the later, the artifact one where, um, one of the designers said, Hey, we loved your article, by the way, uh, you have a slight typo in my last name. Um, that's that's, that's, yeah. Yeah. I actually ended up having my own kind of a thing with artifact, but that's, a separate story for a, a later date. Uh, so going from the first article to the second article you did, which was for Kotaku, you specifically honed in on the international as being part of the problem with Dota 2, which again, what was the response like at the time? Yeah, I mean, this this was where kind of the, the golden cow thing is like international is just one of those things you don't criticize. Um, you know, because it is this, I mean, it's the centerpiece, it's the most prestigious tournament. It really sort of encapsulates everything that is the best about Dota 2 in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been to it uh, and, you know, it really is this, you know, incredible celebration of the game and its community. And that much is like, you know, to me, absolutely not in doubt. Um, however, 
you know, I think it was also, you know, a really useful foil for thinking about how do many of the structural problems in the way that Dota 2, you know, functions, how are those encapsulated by this event, even as it is also this sort of incredible, um, you know, celebration every year. Yeah, so with that, again, nobody of note reached out regarding that article because, you know, Rolling Stone and then Kotaku, those that's a very mainstream outlet and then a very prominent outlet within the gaming industry. No response from Valve about that? None at all. Um, my only, I remember I had a, there's something else. I think I was working on a different article and I was trying to, to get an interview with PPD uh, and PPD's dad was sort of, I think, running a lot of his sort of press or running interference for that at the time. Um, and of course the article caused some, some controversy. And so as, as a result of that, they politely declined to be interviewed, uh, as I remember, which is, which is totally fine. Um, no one's <laughs> obligated to do interviews. Um, but that, um, so yeah, that was the only kind of, uh, almost, you know, industry reaction beyond, I think, once again, a lot of people saying like, Hey, you may might not like that. This is in Kotaku. You might not like that. This is you know, criticizing, you know, kind of our, our crown jewel in Dota. Um, but, you know, by and large, I think the points were solid. I think a lot of people recognized that. And, you know, again, it's also something that has aged pretty well. Yeah. Am I the only person who has kind of reached out in the time since? Because obviously, again, I'm talking to you now. I remember those articles. They were very, very ahead of their time and have been proven right a few times over at this point as like is do you ever get like messages saying hey you're right <laughs> um <laughs> not really though i'm though i'm which i'm not quite as active in sort of the esports um sort of public sort of writing scene as i used to be um you know i still and and you know i'm not I think that was that was a time where you know i had spent kind of the last the few years up leading up to those articles working with EG, Able Geniuses, and running their social media and sort of, you know, going to a lot of tournaments. So I had at least kind of more of a, a somewhat more public presence, but, you know, that's not, you know, where a lot of my efforts have been over the last year or two. Um, you know, so, yeah, so very, very occasionally someone will reach out, um, but, you know, it's, it's rare enough that it's always like, oh, cool. Yeah. So in the first article, going back to the first article, you really honed in specifically on the kind of difficulties that organizations in particular face when dealing with Dota 2. The a running theme throughout this year, particularly as it relates to a North American Dota 2, is the fact that there aren't really any sponsors. You know, the only North American organization that sponsors Dota 2 that's active in the Western Hemisphere right now is Beast Coast, and they sponsor a South American team from Peru. So is this basically the direction that you were seeing Dota 2 head in at the time? Because, you know, we started 2019, the 2019-2020 season with uh, Chaos Esports Club, Evil Geniuses, eventually Cloud9 came back, and so on. But, you know, across the global ongoing global health situation, we've seen, you know, one by one by one, all of them kind of leave. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of them as you know, the, the international, this, the two articles are going to come here, you know, they're going to have to work together a bit here, 
But um, you know, Valve Valve runs its esports in fundamentally different ways than other publishers, uh, and that's sort of like I think a running theme through my work is you you can't just look at Blizzard and say, well, they do this, they communicate this way, they have this many community community managers working on each esport as well as a big you know media relations team that helps you know make sure everybody gets interviews and everybody's available that is just like completely anathema to the way that valve is structured the way that valve is financialized um valve is never going to do that it is like you know it's just it's like asking henry ford to get rid of the assembly line it doesn't make any sense to valve um so because everything valve does is about building sort of technologies around their games that then allow other people to sort of take up the labor, the work, the risk, the reward. Uh, and, you know, Valve kind of sits back and is kind of the passive beneficiary of other people's efforts. Um, you know, that's that's the guiding philosophy behind everything Valve does. And it's why they're able to, like, basically match revenues of um, Activision Blizzard with about, like, I think a, a tenth of the employees. So, um, you know, that's... So the, going back to sort of the question of you know teams and everything, um, I think the the challenge for this year is that the teams probably recognize and and sorry the international is you know the one thing that Valve really does actively when they get into Dota, um, but without and you know it it is such an anchor for the scene because so much money is attached to it that the players the teams everybody is really you know playing for a chance to be at the international. Um, because that's where you're going to be able to like, you know, demand the most money for your sponsors. It's going to wear the course where the players are going to have the potential to earn the most money. Without that, there's just not that much going on in Dota uh, that is, um, you know, appealing to a lot of teams. Obviously, there are other tournaments, but, you know, these are these are very small. And it's, you know, therefore, it's very different than, you know, something like the LCS or Overwatch League which, you know, certainly had challenges in transitioning to mostly online formats, but were able to keep up a pretty clear continuity of service uh, and also had, you know, the publisher being very sort of engaged and active and ensuring that that happened. Um, so very different situation. And I think a lot of people knew that Valve, you know, their move here is going to be like, well, you know, we're, we're very risk averse. We're going to just kind of, you know, step back. Uh, and, you know, wait for things to get better. And, you know, if you're a team owner, um, that's not what you want to hear from the publishers you work with. You want to hear we are, you know, actively reaching out, trying to create alternatives, make something happen here. Um, but that's, you know, just not the way that Valve works. So I think that the teams that dropped Dota 2 at the beginning of the year, you know, as, as sad as it is, because I love the game, they probably made, um, you know, uh, a smart business call because they, they knew that they were not going to get the same kind of support um, that they would from other publishers. Yeah. Um, so what is in your mind, the best structured esports scene today? Because obviously Dota 2 has its own issues, but you also mentioned that, you know, the franchising format is not a perfect thing either. So what is the best game in your opinion right now in regards to the, uh, you know, having everybody's interests align within the game itself. Right. Um, I mean, I think, I think League of Legends is really doing it uh, really well. Um, that does not mean it does not have deep problems because these things are always, there are always trade-offs. Um, I think the relative power of players 
um, is much higher in Dota 2 and probably much lower in League of Legends. Um, but I think they have actually, you know, the LCS has created like an incredibly, you know, robust global system that's, um, you know, healthy. Uh, it, you know, it, it consistently seems to be actually like generating more revenue from not just more fans, but more revenue per fan year on year. Um, it has a very coherent system of sort of like major leagues, secondary leagues, feeder leagues. I think it has a healthy way of thinking about what are we doing in-house as Riot Games and what things are we going to contract out? Where is it appropriate to let someone else use our IP um, or alternatively let them license our IP? Where are we going to white label tournaments? Uh, it's a much, I think, more sophisticated and a holistic approach to managing a global esport. Um, so I think they do very well with that. Um, you know, but I don't think like um, franchising, you know, like obviously Overwatch League is struggling mightily. So it's not like franchise is the golden ticket to having a functional esport. There's a lot more that goes into it than that. Um, and you know, a, a second thing is though this may sound um, slightly hypocritical. Uh, until fairly recently, I think Counter-Strike was also doing very, very well. Um, but my caveat there is Counter-Strike has, has, has a long history before it got into Valve, uh, Valve Land. And that really kind of, you know, there is no version of the international in it. Um, and additionally, you know, there, there were so many more incumbent actors in Counter-Strike that were able to sort of structure the scene and uh, I think a healthier way than Dota is. So, you know, those those are, you know, Le League and Counter-Strike, I think, are the healthy tier one esports. Um, my only other kind of plug there would be for um, the Rainbow Six Siege scene, which I think Ubisoft has done a really excellent job with. And a lot of the team owners and investors I've interviewed are very, very happy with it. Um, you know, it's not as spectacular. It's not as, you know, as... LCS or anything else, hmm. um, but you know it's it's a smaller scene, but it's coherently run. It's consistently profitable for people, um, and you know that is a lot more than you can say for a lot of other esports leagues. Yeah. Um, so, those the upcoming changes for the Dota Pro circuit, and for those who don't know, they're essentially going to reduce the number of majors, implement longer running regional leagues, and have those serve as the essentially the qualifiers for the international but in your mind does valve really need to just kind of like diminish uh spread out the importance of the international in order to have dota 2 actually hit that next level or can it does yeah. does it just need to happen uh in order to have dota 2 progress in any way well, we might, you know, one thing I think we should have is sort of a, as a community of people who, who love Dota is sort of a conversation of what kind of esport do we want? Um, and because I, it might be that, like, we want the more sort of, you know, Rainbow Six style one where it's not, you know, it's not this incredibly spectacular global media event all the time. Um, you know, it, it's, it's smaller, it's more niche, um, but, but that's okay. Um, I think the challenge is if, if we want it to sort of be this like true competitor alternative to things like uh, if you want the DPC to be a true competitor to something like the LCS or um, Overwatch League, you know, it's going to require, a, I think, a very different approach. It would require, and, and I think 
you know, the, the regional thing is, is interesting, but it doesn't, you know, it's kind of a, it kicks the can down the road. It doesn't really address sort of the underlying challenges, which is that teams don't find this an appealing place to invest because players are, you know, have incentives that are like, oh, we want to win the international. So no, we're not going to do media with you. We're going to go focus on practicing. Um, and, you know, like, so there's huge instability uh, as teams, you know, make and remake based on what they think is going to help them win. Uh, roster locks have not always been able to effectively address that. Um, similarly, there are these huge wealth gaps uh, and there are huge regions of the world that are sort of left out of Dota 2 as a result. Um, so I don't know, like all of those things, you know, to me, that's an opportunity for Valve to take a much more aggressive approach with how it tries to distribute the money that Dota 2 Esports creates uh, in a more equitable way, which is, on the one hand, I happen to think is like a morally correct thing to do. Um, but on the other, I think would actually, you know, if, if that money really did, you know, in a more assertive and systematic way go to helping recoup costs um, for smaller feeder tournaments, to helping pay smaller teams, um, to ensure that, you know, if you're someone who's competing um, you know, at a pro level in Dota 2 that your basic needs are taken care of. Um, that, I think, would do a lot to, to increase the quality of the scene, to add stability, and allow the other, you know, actors, the tournament organizers and the teams, to, to find a kind of stability that then lets them actually build up a, a, a more, you know, a business around Dota 2. Um, that's sort of the long-term play. And if, if, we, if what it is is that we want these, these games to compete with, LCS and Overwatch League, I think that's that's where they need to go. Um, but you know, there's you know, it requires a bit of a, a bit of a leap of faith from Valve because you're you're in theory turning down short-term profits for longer-term returns. Um, and you know, in a in a world where we are particularly sensitive about quarterly reports, that's a that's a that's an uphill challenge. So once again, this is Will Parton. Where can fans find you right now? You can find me on Twitter at William underscore Parton. And I am always happy to chat with people about this kind of stuff. All right. Thank you very much. And we are going to now transition over to our second guest, which is Garter, a former Dota 2 Pro. So I'm speaking here with Garter, former Dota 2 Pro, current League of Legends streamer. And we're here to talk about his journey in professional Dota 2, as well as his budding journey in professional League of Legends. So let's start with your announcement back in January that you're planning on leaving the Dota 2 Pro scene behind. You mentioned that you had a rough three years, and I'm assuming that that started at the end of your time with Pro Dota Gaming, right? Yep. Uh, first, hi. And second, it hi. was about... Uh, actually, it was right behind, uh, right after the... Uh, I went to NA. I played the LAN. We did the semi-boot camp with BSJ. Uh, Team Leviathan, mm. I think it was. And when I came back after that, that's when, like, uh, it was really rough. And I can uh, elaborate a bit more later when we get back to it, if you want. Uh, just go into it right now. It's basically That's basically the follow-up. You don't have to, yeah. Go okay. So happened? basically, like, uh, while I was in NA, uh, I had uh, multiple different opportunities to choose from. Uh, ones that I can think of was, like, DC, Vici Gaming, J, and some other teams like this who were offering like 2 to 3k a month for me. And like 
I, I can't even explain what happened because it's just such little things. But like, nah, visa expires in three months. No, it's not a working visa. It's this, blah, blah, blah. And basically, mm. I ended up getting short end of the stick on like three, four different potential teams, stacks that were high in pay. And once I came back from NA, pretty much all the opportunities that I had were just a bunch of stacks. Basically, mm-hmm. you're going to stake out your life and your time on just screaming together, potentially doing nothing with that because there was no like potential sponsors interested in picking up newly formed stacks or something like that, even though I played with like pretty good players, obviously like previously sponsored and stuff like that. Yeah, and I should note that um, immediately before all this, you were playing with Team Tuho, which has the current core of Team Liquid, basically. Um, yep. So you, I mean, that's basically throughout your entire career, you've always played with like Seb, um, like Insania, Mika, uh, Nico, Baby, et cetera, et cetera, like a, a who's who of yeah. current players. <laughs> um, but obviously, then you transitioned from. Dota 2 into League of Legends, and how have things been going for you to this point? I know that you're streaming frequently, but uh, you've been also getting some tweets in. The, the switch initially was pretty rough, meaning like uh, basically a big decision to make moving from this game. I know everyone. I know the game in and out. I am pro at it, blah, 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 to this completely new game, which new ball, you know, like honestly, like the transition initially was smooth, meaning like I like the game, I like coming here, playing, streaming, everything was going well, even way better than expected. But uh, right now it's kind of like <clears throat> iffy, uh, mostly because my stream is pretty much dead, honestly, compared to the Dota days where I used to easily get two to 300 viewers when I would play solo queue. So right now I'm just waiting for the ranked reset to happen to start streaming and playing again, as I have taken like a two, three week break from streaming. But other than that, like I've been grinding hard, man. I've uh, hit diamond two in six months of playing league. So that's like uh, 0.3% of the EU scene, which is pretty damn big deal. It's like really, really it's, big it's achievement. It's a good percentile. Yeah, it's, it's pretty big because if you think about it, uh, in order for you to be immortal in Dota 2, you need to be uh, top 0.9%. And this means like I've hit higher than that, you know, initially within just six months. It's pretty crazy. And that's with no coaching or any sort of help, just playing solo and doing things my own way. So in a sense, like the year's been mixed up with uh, successes and sort of uh, fails or mysteries, basically. I don't know if I should look at COVID for this or my own self, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting at the very least, this whole move. So with that really high ranking, have you gotten any kind of interest from orgs who are competing in any kind of leagues or? Honestly, honestly, no, because uh, I think in order for you to start like basically catching an eye of people, I think you need to hit at least masters, which is basically like, within reach it's it's 
two divisions away. So it's like Diamond 2, Diamond 1, and then Masters. So basically, once you hit that, then you start catching people's eye because the player base becomes a lot smaller, meaning like you play the same people, people hear about you, know you, talk to you, and you sort of form those relationships and stuff like that. I have something on the back end of mine, meaning like there's this federation of Kosovo that's going to be formed, and maybe I can potentially even form a League of Legends pro team uh, locally, but I'm not sure about that just yet. So, in terms of pro or anything, nothing too much. So, obviously, one of the big kind of transitions that we see across esports right now is going from being an actual esports pro player into being a full time streamer. What made you? make the decision instead of going from pro dota two to dota two streaming what made you make the decision to ultimately do that full jump uh you touched upon it in your initial announcement but uh, is there any further insight you have on it now well i mean it's a bit hard to explain because uh the main issue is that i really like grinding games like i really like grinding and even if i'm not literally competing i like to be able to play at a competitive level the problem with dota 2 was really rough for streaming because obviously not just the stream snipers and stuff like that that make your life difficult in every game it's more like the game just became so hard to even play because like the queue times were absurdly long so if i wanted to play like in my main accounts, 8K plus MMR or whatever, I had to wait 30 minutes to an hour for a game that would end in 20 minutes. So it just became like hardly worth it mentally. In terms of uh, income and stuff like that, I was a lot more successful in Dota uh, basically during those uh, <clears throat> sessions of streams. But it just became really hard to sustain like long queues, uh, it was like minus 15, uh, sorry, uh, plus 15 MMR, minus 30 or something. I like just in general, it was very, very hard to sustain a solo queue stream and pursue that road. So I basically was like, all right, so I want to compete. I want to play a game basically all the time. Maybe I should just try something completely new. And at the end of the day, I mean, I had it in the back of my mind that I could play League for a full year and then maybe come back to Dota. Because this whole time, I've had this uh, Federation of Kosovo behind my head, which I'll uh, elaborate uh, soon about it. But yeah, it's it's hard to say, honestly. Like I just felt like me competing and pursuing League would be a better decision than me just basically retiring and streaming Dota. So with that... Uh... Obviously, League of Legends has a much better, and you've touched upon it, a much better developmental system. It's got the LEC, LCS, LCK, etc. on top. But then below that, you do have a really broad network of national leagues in Europe. We see a bigger amateur scene set to become a reality in North America. And you can go you know, all around the world for different regions and different situations that ultimately all end up being bigger than Dota 2. How much of that played into your decision? And you can talk about your the Kosovo League that you mentioned before, because I imagine it ties into that. Yeah. Well, basically, like that's the thing, right? Dota 2 just does not have a Tier 2 scene. 
in Dota 2, in order for you to be successful at a pro level, you have to be tier one. Sadly, because there's no sponsors, scene is just too small. Like every tier one team gets invited to every tournament. So there's no food for tier two teams. Therefore, orgs don't invest. Therefore, there's no tournaments for them. And actually in the past, you used to have a lot of these uh, pro Dota uh, tournament hosts like some of the smaller tournament, I don't even remember the names, but basically like 5k prize pools, 10k prize pools that you got to participate and make some small cash off of. See, the thing is, is that League has a lot of those on top of semi-pro and pro. Like, I don't even know by the name, but basically like there's these masters, there's these like multiple different uh, ways for you to sort of make an earning while playing in lower scene. And then there's the Academy, which is basically exactly that tier two. You're aspiring to be one of the best teams in the world. Here, you can be part of this team's Academy, strive, become better individually as a team, blah, 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 and achieve greatness. Uh, the other thing that I was talking about, the Federation, is that basically without uh, explaining and over-explaining everything, because it's still not public, but... I had a chance to become uh, either a Dota 2 coach or a uh, pro. So basically, I could be making my own team and represent Kosovo, whether it's in Dota or League or whatever. And since obviously I'm an ex-Dota pro, it made more sense that I coach a Dota team or become pro in Dota, since I am still kind of bad at League. But now that I'm getting better and better, I have basically multiple options. You know what I'm saying? Like I can decide to yeah. and be like, well, you know what? This league thing, it's not working out. I'm just going to go back to Dota and become a coach or try to play competitively, com- competitively with a national team. Or, or you know, I feel confident enough and I want to pursue the Federation of League of Legends. And this, basically this Federation thing is something that I've basically been waiting for a long time now. Because as you know, esports, uh, it's not stable. Like you can have a team today, tomorrow you're kicked or you leave or something happens and you just don't have any income and you're basically starving. Where like with Federation, it's something that obviously is state-made. So you are going to have a pretty stable job for a couple of years and basically be able to plan and do things a lot better and easier without the paycheck being on the back of your head. So... Obviously, we got the Dota 2 Pro scene set to undergo a big change. We got the Dota Pro circuit set to shift from being, you know, five majors a year plus the international five minors, et cetera, et cetera, to being a bunch of regional leagues, which is kind of more in line with League of Legends, particularly the days before franchising, uh, where you have an upper league and a lower league and a relegation system, probably. The details aren't entirely there, but does this sound any more appealing than what you were dealing with in Dota 2? Because theoretically, it should make for a more robust, more stable Tier 2 scene. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this Dota, Dota has been needing something like this for a long time now. And basically, like, if the Federation was formed, or even without it, but basically, like, now there's sort of hope to try to compete in Dota. Because it's not like either Team Secret or Liquid or you're doomed or Nigma or whatever who, who whoever is from the top teams right now because I haven't been following the scene that closely but for example uh, three months ago it's I think basically, I watched, basically right where you left it yeah but it, like three months ago I watched and it's like uh, Team Secret wins eight tournaments in a row well congratulations 
congratulations, very good, you know, but that's so bad for the scene. Like, like, yeah, sure, Team Secret is awesome, good job to them, but, I mean, the reason why Secret can do that is because there's no competition, sort of. Like, they just stomp 3-0 because yeah. there's no new rivals coming on scene and just, you know, smashing you. Where, like, even though in League there's not necessarily, like, new rivals every day but like there's new players new different teams winning all the time back to how dota used to be before uh, og basically won two ti's and then they broke the you know the the cycle of every t every ti new team wins so yeah i think this uh, dota circuit or whatever is gonna happen could be good could be a lot healthier than what we had so far and uh obviously I am still not 100% decided if I'm going to pursue League or Dota this upcoming year. So we'll see. Hopefully they expose or disclose more information on this matter and uh, other people get to see and decide what they yeah, hopefully, want to I mean, do. In, in true Valve fashion, it's theoretically supposed to start in like three weeks and we don't really know much about it. Yeah, classic. Um, Classic Valve. Yeah. Uh, but, so, I'd be remiss not to talk to you about Dota 2 versus League of Legends, game versus game. You're one of the few pros who's really made a serious run in Dota 2 and then switched over. I mean, obviously, we had, like, high high back in back in the day, but much more modern uh, <laughs> yeah. with talking with you. So, earlier, or excuse me, late 2019, we had kind of a little bit of a back and forth between Doublelift from League of Legends and No-Tail from Dota 2, who kind of went back and forth a little bit, end up involving uh, the owner of G2 Esports and Seb and blah, blah, blah. And it was kind of a discussion about which game is more mechanically difficult. What's your take on that? Oh, I, I think that's just so hard to say, though, because... I played uh, both League and Dota, and obviously, like, I'm not crazy good in League, obviously, uh, nowhere where I was in Dota, but I've gotten to play against people like me, basically, like, people who were me in Dota, like, Challenger ranks, Grandmaster 500 LP, top 50 players against me on mid lane, and, like, I fare fine against them, like, I, I have no issues, like, I might get, like, uh, outmaneuvered as a macro decision or something but in terms of micro it doesn't feel like I'm lacking or anything so I I don't know I, I would say like it's weird because there's some things that Dota has a lot harder micro management than League and then also the other way around for example I'll just take one example of uh, hero versus champion in Dota you have Meepo right that hero yeah. is super hard to run. Like, you have to basically control four different heroes at the same time. And if one dies, you die. And it, it, it's hard. Basically, it's extremely hard. And you need at least 500 games to play him at nearly any decent level. But then in League, there's uh, champions like Rengar or Kiana or something like this or Yasuo. Like, their kit as a whole is simple like it's not too complicated but in order for you to dish out let's say 2000 damage in split second you need to master your combo really hard in order for you to execute you know what i'm saying and since in league flies everything so fast to you it's it, it, it's weird because like in this instance 
it's harder to play League mechanically, but in the Meepo instance, it's harder to play Dota mechanically. You know what I'm saying? Like, both games yeah. have their uh, mechanical peak uh, heroes or champions or whatever. So I think both games are really difficult mechanically, and I honestly been able to transfer all my mechanics from Dota to League easily, and like I said, I have no issues whatsoever executing any combos or anything like that. Basically, just what I've learned from Dota. And I'm like 30 years old almost, so it's not like uh, age or anything like that. It's Basically, if you practice, you can do it on both games. It's, it shouldn't be that crazy different. So where can fans find you these days? Uh, excuse me, what? <laughs> um, we're signing off. Wanted to let you plug all your stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, well, <laughs> Twitter.com, obviously, Garter Gaming, or uh, Twitch TV, just Garter. That's basically where I am staying up and at all the time, tweeting memes and uh, streaming tournaments, like some small league tournaments, or sometimes even the Dota 2 patch and stuff like that. But basically, that's where I'm at. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on your favorite podcatcher, and if you can't find us, let us know so that we can fix that. Also, look us up on Twitter. You can find me at srondina, and you can find win.gg at officialwingg. If you have any comments, questions, or thoughts, feel free to pass them along, and we might feature them on a future show. And once again, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you again soon.